you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with a rod, 12,000 stadia. 
its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh crystalline, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And He said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. 
Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murders and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. G'day, City on a Hill. Wonderful to be with you. If you are just joining us for the very first time, welcome. Uh, my name is Guy. Uh, it's my joy and privilege to serve as the pastor of City on a Hill, a movement of churches across Australia united around the mission of knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. Uh, it's an extraordinary moment. And I want to thank you for your love, your encouragement, your support, and the many wonderful ways that you are looking out for each other and pursuing faith, hope, and love. I heard this week uh, that across all of our gospel communities, we had more people gathering together than we've ever had before. Uh, and for our digital services that happened last weekend, can you believe it? We joined with men and women from 65 different countries and 104 different cities. Cities in Australia like Hobart and Darwin and Geelong and Sydney and Melbourne and across the world, Barcelona, Hong Kong, KL, Dublin, Christchurch, London, LA and Shanghai. Incredible. Can you believe it? Even more amazing, in response to the gospel, uh, we celebrated with 107 people who committed their life to Jesus. Praise God. Let's, let's give the Lord a hand of uh, thanks in honor of His goodness and grace. In fact, you might like just to shout out an amen uh, or put in your favorite emoji in the comments below. Today, uh, we are concluding our series in the book of Revelation. And as I was uh, reading through today's passage, uh, I was reminded of a time that I was in London for a ministry conference with Alpha. And I had the opportunity to spend the afternoon with Andrew Grills. Andrew Grills is, of course, a great mate of mine, but also heads up City on a Hill, Geelong. And it just so happens that he was at Oxford receiving his graduation certificate for the Master of Philosophy in International Relations. I believe we've got a picture of us two hanging out. Uh, looking at it now, I think I may have been just a little bit overdressed. 
But here we are in Oxford. The first time I've ever been there. And it's an incredible, incredible place. It's like walking into this other world where you're transported to this place of kings, queens and, and Hogwarts. It's incredible. And perhaps, however, the, the most memorable moment for me was the time that Andrew showed me and we walked through Addison's Walk. Addison's Walk is this little trail by the water. Uh, there's tall green trees. You can, you, can, you can smell the spring air. But even more significant, Andrew tells me that this is where C.S. Lewis, my favorite uh, author, used to walk. C.S. Lewis uh, became a Christian while lecturing at Oxford University. And it's believed that every day he would journey down Addison's Walk with J.R. Tolkien, sharing ideas and talking about their faith. And here's Andrew and here's I walking down this road. And at the end of it, Andrew points out a, a small plaque uh, on this stone wall. And he says, look, guy, that's a poem by C.S. Lewis. And so there on this road, I, I read it out. It goes like this. I heard in Addison's walk, a bird sing clear. This year, the summer will come true. This year, this year, winds will not strip the blossom from the apple trees. This year, nor want to the rain destroy the peace. This year, time's nature will no more defeat you, nor all the promised moments in their passing cheat you. This time they will not lead you round and back to autumn one year older by the well-worn track. This year, this year, all these flowers foretell, we shall escape the circle and undo the spell. Often deceived, yet open once again you, your heart. Quick, 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 the gates are drawn apart. Andrew looks at me with his big bright smile and says, Guy, do you know what it's about? And I look at him and I smile and I say, I have no idea. He says, Guy, it's about heaven. Read it again. And so I did. Look at it once more. I heard in Addison's walk a bird sing clear. This year, the summer will come true. This year, this year. Winds will not strip the blossom from the apple trees. This year, nor want of rain destroy the peace. This year, time's nature will no more defeat you, nor all the promised moments in their passing cheat you. This time, they will not lead you round and back to autumn, one year older by the well-worn track. This year, this year, as all these flowers foretell, we shall escape the circle and undo the spell. Often deceived, yet often once again, you open again your heart Quick, 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 the gates are drawn apart. Do you see it? Do you see the day when the winds will no longer strip the trees of its fruit? Do you see when the spell upon the earth will be lifted and the gates will be opened? I want to ask you a very important question. When was the last time, when was the last time that you imagined the wonder and glory of heaven? When was the last time that you lifted your eyes from this present world and all of its darkness and distress and thought about, longed for the world that is to come? Today, today, 
we arrive at the final chapters in the book of Revelation. And at its heart, it is an unveiling of the kingdom of Christ and all that awaits the people of God. If you have a Bible handy, I'd love you to turn with me now to Revelation 21. Three insights about the age to come. First, we will see creation restored. 21 verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Now in the opening week of our series, we were introduced to John, the the writer of Revelation. And where is he? Uh, he's on the island of Patmos in exile on account of his witness for Christ. Uh, this is a harsh and difficult time where the Roman Empire are flexing their military muscle and standing over and against the people of God. Uh, all of which to say this vision comes to a people living in crisis. They are alone. They are anxious. They are afraid. And what does John see? He sees a new heaven and a new earth and the holy city coming down out of heaven. Now that's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting because a lot of Christians believe this idea that kind of after you die, your, 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 your spirit just kind of floats up into heaven. And we imagine heaven as this you know, spiritual realm where we float on spiritual clouds, eating our spiritual grapes. Now, I've got nothing against spiritual clouds or spiritual grapes. They sound quite delicious. But the idea of a spiritual utopia that's void of anything physical is not a biblical concept, but one that was imagined in Greek philosophy and Eastern religion. One of my favorite bands as a kid uh, was Nirvana. Uh, this grungy indie rock, loud music, long hair, kind of lifting the middle finger to the world. Uh, interestingly, Kurt Cobain, uh, he grew up a pretty uh, happy, uh, go-getter kid, but then kind of got caught uh, in the crossfire of his parents' divorce. And so in response to that rejection, he threw himself at sex and drugs and therapy to escape the emptiness of life. And so it's no surprise that he named the band Nirvana because Nirvana speaks of an escape from all worldly attachments and earthly emotions. It elevates the spiritual realm over the physical. But the early followers of Jesus never viewed it like that. They always understood heaven and earth as twin halves of God's good design. That when God spoke this world into existence, he created a spiritual and physical existence and called it good. Uh, when God spoke light into existence, he said it was good. When he made land and, and beaches, he said it was good. When he, when he made uh, mountains and trees and buckets of KFC, he said it was so, so good. And tell me, who holds the highest place in God's creative design? You do. You know what God said 
after he put on the finishing touches and he looked at all that he made, he said, this is very good. Very good. It doesn't matter uh, if you uh, grew up an atheist or consider yourself a card-carrying Christian. It doesn't matter if you put on your Sunday best to tune in for today or you are right now sprawled out on the couch in your pajamas eating leftover pizza. The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, does that mean that we're free from imperfection? Of course not. As I shared last week, the sin of Adam and Eve plunged creation and our lives into a sea of futility and frustration. Our walk through paradise is now littered with broken glass. Our relationships that we were made to enjoy are now tainted by insecurity and and pride and greed and and malice and deceit. And, And of course, Oh, we can know God and we can enjoy creation. But we see, we see God dimly and the earth is, is frustrated and broken. And this is what makes Revelation so very special. Because it's here that the curtain drops and we see the creator of heaven and earth making all things new. Amelia Gibbs, who uh, works as a nurse and attends our church in Brisbane, says this, as a leader of a team of nursing and allied health staff looking after vulnerable people, I long for the day when once and for all God will end all the brokenness of our human condition and my eyes can behold fully his splendor and majesty. How I long to be transformed to the fullness of mind, body, soul, and spirit as we will be in those days to come. The seemingly endless days of current struggle lead me to look forward more to the mighty hallelujah. The ache will end because he will finish it. And as you can see, God's healing is found not only in what he makes new, but also in what he takes away. In verse 1, John looks at the new creation and he sees that the sea was no more. Now, what does that mean? Well, in the ancient world, the sea was a dark, deep and unknowable mystery. Uh, It represented disorder. It symbolizes chaos. Jordan Peterson um, unpacks this well. He says, chaos is the foreigner the stranger, the member of another gang, the rustle in the brushes in the nighttime, the monster under the bed, the hidden anger of your mother and the sickness of your child. Chaos is the despair and horror you feel when you've been profoundly betrayed. It's the place you end up when things fall apart, when your dreams die, your career collapses or your marriage ends. It's the underworld of fairy tale and myth where the dragon and the gold it guards eternally coexist. Chaos is where we are when we don't know where we are and what we are doing when we don't know what we are doing. When the ice you are skating on is solid, that's order. When the bottom drops out and things fall apart and you plunge through the ice, that's chaos. I was talking with uh, a friend 
Jamie, who's uh, been part of City on a Hill now for many years, along with his wife, Carla, and their five beautiful children. Uh, amazing guy who, who loves Jesus and loves sharing the light with others. In fact, he started his own gym as a way to form community and to shine the light of Christ. And it's been amazing to watch his journey, to see him gather so many people, to see the business grow and community formed and, and people engage with the, with the good news of Jesus. But then I get a message from him and he says, Guy, in about an hour's time, I'd love you to be praying for me in an hour's time because I've got to lay off all of my staff. Now they're going to pivot and, and move their training online, going to continue to offer spiritual support. But in that moment, everything is just disrupted and turned upside down. What is that? Chaos. It's chaos. And I've had a ton of phone calls with people who've experienced that, that chaos the swirling of the sea, people who've, who've had to lay off staff, others who've now lost their job. And what do we do in the midst of that? Now, where does our hope come from? Now, in part, the answer comes from us, doesn't it? We have a part to play. We have a responsibility in this moment. We, we can be praying for uh, our, our government and world leaders that, that they would make wise decisions and, and give us the guiding lights. We can be praying and cheering on the medical profession, the doctors, the nurses on the front line who are doing an incredible, incredible job. And we can each uh, seek to uh, work hard to look out for each other and do what we can to, to flatten the curve. There's a lot of things that we can do to, to get Get through this moment. But for you who are in Christ, you know, you know that, that ultimately our hope doesn't come from, from the government or the world or, or from even each other. Where does our hope come from? Ask David. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. City on a hill, our hope comes from the one who made the world the one who holds the world, the one who entered into the world, the one who promises to you, who promises to you to make all things new. And this leads to the second insight. In the age to come, we're going to see life redeemed. Life redeemed. Look at that verse again. He says, And I saw the holy city. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. We can all relate, can't we, to this image of a bride arriving. You know, standing in the church as the organ is played and the doors are open and the cute little flower girl comes through and then the bridesmaids and then the bride herself. It's a very special moment. Uh, I've been married to Vanessa now nearly 17 years and, until, and still right now, I, I can vividly remember that moment, her, her long flowing dress, the flowers in her hair, the sounds that were being played. You know, as she walked down the aisle, despite my best effort to hold everything together, I just weeped with these tears. These tears started gushing forth. And then when Vanessa saw my tears, you know what she did? She laughed. 
True story. In response to my tears, she giggled her way all the way to the front of the church. In fact, it's, many, it's kind of typical of our marriage today. Uh, 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 I cry and she laughs at me. Uh, what is the image telling us? What is this picture of, of the bride in Revelation all about? The bridal language is about the love and affection of God. The love and affection that he has for the bride, that he has for the church. It's a bride he adores, a bride who is pure, a bride who walks in the righteousness and grace of God. Some of you may uh, recall the story I once shared about the time I stole my mum's car. Uh, it was 1995, I was 15 years of age, and in the morning I heard my brother talking about a job interview that he wanted to get to, but he couldn't get there. And so I say, Tony, Tony, I can help. Uh, I'll drive you. And he says to me, Guy, uh, you don't have a car, you don't have your license, and you can't drive. To which I say, challenge accepted. Right? I didn't have a last license, I didn't have a car, but I was banking on the fact that I'd played hours of Mario Kart. So I felt okay. I wasn't roadworthy, but I was, I was confident in this. And I knew that my mum uh, used to park her Toyota Corolla uh, at the station at the start of the day, and she'd kept the train into work. And so as long as we got the car back by 6 p.m. at night, we were fine. What could go wrong, right? <laughs> well, here we are. It's 5.55 p.m. Five minutes left on the clock, and I'm trying to do a handbrake start on the steepest hill in the southern hemisphere. And I somehow managed to bunny hop my way through the intersection and arrive to the station where, to my shock, I see that my mum has not only arrived and realized that her car is missing, but is now walking around the block looking for a payphone to call the cops. And so I burn through the intersection. I say to my brother, duck. And then I look out the rearview mirror and I can see my mum. She's like five foot two, nothing, big kind of black hair, running after the car saying, come back, come back. And we skirt around the, the corner and we get out of the car. We park, we hide behind trees. And then five minutes later, we come up to mum as if nothing was going on. And you know what? She knew nothing about it. She had zero idea that we were part of this whole fiasco. When I shared this uh, with a mate, he said, God, did you ever tell your mum that you were the one <laughs> who stole the car? And, and I said, no, of course not. <laughs> and as soon as I said that, uh, it occurred to me that <laughs> there are hundreds of things that, that I'd never told my mum, hundreds of things that I'd, I, I'd kept from her, or another way you could say that, times in which I lied. It, why? Why did I lie to my mum? Was I scared of being grounded? No, I wasn't. To be honest, deep down, the real reason I held on to those things is that I always wanted her to believe that I was good. Um, growing up, you know, life wasn't particularly straightforward in our household. My parents divorced when I was young. My brother was in and out of various gangs. And my mum was working two, sometimes three jobs just to put food on the table. And the last thing I wanted to do was to make her life difficult. I wanted her to see that I was good. I wanted her to believe that I could make it right. And yet so often there was a distance between the ideal and the reality. And the reason I share all of that with you is because I often see something similar when it comes to our relationship with God. Like 
my assumption is you believe that God exists and, and, and that you know Him. In fact, it's more than that. You, you want Him to know you, to care for you. Even more than that, you want Him to, to love you. And yet, isn't it true that we so often tell ourselves that God will only accept me if I get my act in gear and clean up my mess We say things like, God will accept me if I get my prayer life in order. God will accept me if I start reading my Bible more. God will accept me if I stop lying. I'm only telling the truth. God will love me if I I tick all of these religious boxes. right? And you know that. And we play that game with ourselves. But but isn't it true that 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 treadmill, that religious treadmill is not only exhausting, but defeating? City on a hill, listen to this. The image of the bride coming down from heaven is so, so special because it is a vision for you of the righteousness of God that is now yours. Like a bride walking down the aisle, so you shall shine in the light of Christ. No more guilt, no more shame. No more imperfection, no more self-doubt, no more accusations or self-deceit. His life will be your life. His beauty will be your beauty. His glory and joy, oh, it will be your glory and your joy. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news of great joy? And listen, this image of the bride not only speaks to our own identity Uh, It's also helpful to recognize how this extends out and and shapes the relationships that we will have with one another. You'll notice, look at this, verse 3. John hears the voice of God addressing his people. Now, the word people in Greek is plural. In other words, he's addressing you together. Or as we Aussies like to say, yous. Right? This (laughs) This is a message for yous. Now, what's the point? The point is that heaven isn't this isolated private island where you just live by yourself doing your own thing. No, heaven is a gathering together of God's people who do life together. Look at how this is imagined in verse 10. It's incredible. Check this out. Verse 10. Open your Bible with me. Verse 10. Check this out. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me what? The holy city. Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It was a, had a great high wall with 12 gates and the gates and at the gates, 12 angels and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, the first readers of Revelation lived in cities, and we've met some of these cities, Ephesus and Smyrna, Sardis and Philly, right? The city was where they worked. The city was where they gathered together for worship. The city was where communities were established and friendships were made. And yet, of course, for many believers, they were ostracized by the power of the cities on account of their faith in Jesus. And so they were sent out. And that was particularly so for for Jewish believers, because in AD 70, the Roman Empire smashed their city and the old Jerusalem was nothing but a pile of rubble. 
And yet what do they see? What does John see? What do we see? In the midst of their loss, in the midst of their isolation, they see a holy city, a new Jerusalem. Not a return to the garden, but a city. But a city. Do you see how large it is? It's huge. 2,000 kilometers long, 2,000 kilometers wide. Most strangely, 2,000 kilometers tall. Right? It's pretty much the exact size of the entire Mediterranean basin from Jerusalem to Rome, which may be the point. The new city replaces the ravages of Rome. Verse 12, the 12 gates are inscribed in honor of the 12 tribes of Israel. Verse 14, the foundation stones are in the honor of the 12 apostles in the New Testament. In other words, our entry into God's kingdom comes through the message of the Old and New Testament. Right, testified through the prophets fulfilled in Jesus. The city is also made of these highly impractical materials. In verse 21, we see the streets of gold and the famous pearly gates. The point being that this kingdom has everything the human heart longs and desires. And even more impressive, the new city will be home for the many nations. You see that? Verse 24, by its light will the nations walk And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. The great cities of our world. The great cities of our world. Look, look at this. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Isn't that incredible? Right? The new kingdom. The new kingdom will see streams of people entering in. Different nations, different tribes, different stories each sharing the best of their culture to the glory of Christ. Amazing. You know, last week, I, I rode uh, into the city uh, with a mate by the Yarra and, and coming up to Federation Square, just seeing the, the emptiness of our world right now. I've never seen anything like it before. Just an empty tram going by a few random people in the heart of the city. The the distant sound of a police car. You know, it it was like we'd arrived in the middle of a war. And it was eerie. And it was empty. Um, Like Adam and Eve who who were sent out from the garden. So, So we'd been sent out from the city, separated from the relationships that, that we so desperately need. How great, how great it will be to gather together. How great it will be when we enter the new city, bursting with color and light. Children playing in playgrounds that are made of gold. Parents sitting in cafes, drinking lattes that will never run out. Men and women sitting by the water's edge. No insecurity, uh, just honesty, truth, a depth of relationship that we've never seen before. I know that when we're in Revelation, and particularly these chapters, we're looking at a vision of what will be, but Can I encourage you to to lean into that now? Um, I've been so encouraged to see men and women looking out for each other in this time. Uh, People catching up uh, over Zoom meetings. Uh, There's been prayer meetings happening online. I know people are calling around, looking out for one another. Keep going. Keep going. 
Keep looking out for each other. Keep connecting into gospel communities. Keep thinking about the people in your life right now in this church who need a call, who need that love. And as you do, remember, remember that this time of separation will pass. A day is coming when we will be united. A final and glorious day where the gates of heaven are open and we will be home. And this leads to the third and final point. Love redeemed. One of the striking features that you may have picked up in the Bible reading is the absence of the temple. Right? So for the early church, particularly those of a Jewish descent, the idea of a city without a temple was impossible to imagine. Uh, their entire life uh, was centered around the temple. The temple not only marked the, the blessing and the favor of God, but it was where you and your family would go to, to encounter His power and to experience His presence. Why then is the temple missing? In the new creation, John says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Do you see it? A city with no temple. What does it signify? The unmediated intimacy between God and his people. Yes, we will be together but in the midst of our life you and i will know the presence of god unlike ever before right look at 21 verse 3 behold the dwelling place of god is with man he will dwell with them and they will be his people and god himself will be with them as their god and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away you know, throughout Revelation, uh, we, we've marveled, haven't we? The many grand and glorious images of God. God on his throne, this mighty king, and there's thunder, and there's lightning, and there's glory. And so there's this sense, isn't there, that when you're reading this, to, that to be a Christian means that, that we become citizens of God's kingdom, and Christ is our, our Lord and our King. However... <coughs> The Bible says that Jesus doesn't just relate to you the way the king does his subjects. Jesus also relates to you the way a husband relates to his wife. That is to say, he doesn't just rule you. He, he loves you. He cares for you. He wants you in his arms. He wants to wipe away your tears. In the past few days... Um, I've seen the tears of my wife. Her tears as she's come to terms with a very complex and difficult world. You know, as I shared last week, her brother was one of the first people in Australia to test positive to the coronavirus. And the implications of that and his quarantine and separation and then have to kind of postpone and cancel her parents' 50, uh, 50th wedding anniversary. On top of that, all the kids are now home. She's now trying to manage a household with four kids, five if you include me. And then the chaos and the mess in all of that. And at the same time, we're trying to navigate my own mother's health, who just recently was diagnosed with, with dementia and, and all of the complications in that. And so I, I've seen her tears. And, and what, does a, what does a husband do in the response of that? Hand her a box of Kleenex and say, see you later? No, of course not. 
To wipe someone's tears means to, to enter in, to enter into their pain, to enter into their sorrow, uh, to meet the, the reality of their, their difficulty, their loss, their grief, and then provide hope. And this is why I find great comfort in the good news of the gospel. Because in Jesus, what do we see? We see Jesus entering into our brokenness. We see Jesus entering into our pain. We see Jesus taking on our sin, our suffering, our judgment that we deserve. And in dying on the cross and in rising to new life, Jesus not only reveals his his power, but his great love, his great love. A love that can take a bruised and broken situation and make it beautiful. City on a Hill, do you know that because of your faith in Jesus, because of what Jesus has done for you, you are now secure in him. You're secure in his life and you're secure in his hope. And a day is coming where you'll see God not in part, but in full. And all that is bad will be made good. All that is sad will become untrue. And he'll hold you in his arms and he'll wipe away your tears. Patrick and his wife, Carly, attend our church in Melbourne's East. And it was this week, 12 months ago, that their four-week-old son, Jasper, tragically died. And in reflecting on what has been a very, very, very hard 12 months, he says this, One of the many difficulties is being crippled with grief without a moment's notice. One second, we can be laughing at a joke or getting ready for a great time with family and friends, and then we feel like we've had the rug pulled out from underneath our feet. We can't move, smile, or concentrate on what we're doing because the sadness of the reality of not having our son Jasper with us is so overwhelming, leading us to cancel or leave events at a moment's notice. 99% of the time, we're so happy that he's safe with our Heavenly Father that 1% levels us like nothing else. I asked Patrick, what does this vision in Revelation mean for you? He says, we live in the sure hope this city. This vision is the most beautiful picture ever, and not just because of its grandeur, but rather the state of its inhabitants. All the saints, young and old, dwelling in right, perfect relationship with God because of the one who conquered. Death shall be no more. Death shall be no more. No more, no more reason to mourn or cry or feel the crippling pain of loss I so long for this. City on a hill, do you long for this? If you're a follower of Jesus and you are secure in the promise of the new heavens and the new earth, then let me encourage you right now to lean into that hope and consider what it now means for you to live in light of that eternity. Perhaps it's, an invitation to reimagine how you view your setbacks, your sorrow and your suffering, knowing that in the age to come, what man intends for evil, God is going to work out for good. 
Perhaps it's a call to embrace joy-filled generosity, giving of your time, your talent, your treasure, knowing that there is nothing in this world that stands in comparison to the wealth and glory that you have in Christ. Perhaps it's a call to to acceptance and forgiveness instead of living in the pain of your past mistakes or the accusations of the evil one. Set your eyes on the age to come where you'll not only be forgiven, but welcomed into the arms of your loving, loving God. Perhaps it's a call to compassion, to join God in wiping away the pain of the other. Perhaps it's a call to peace. And patience in this hour, acknowledging the loneliness of this present day, but to say with glad hearts, this is a light and momentary affliction that is working out for us a more exceeding weight of glory. And perhaps it's a call of courage to recognize that right now the gates of heaven are open and that in Jesus there is good news of great joy and courage is taking that message and sharing it with our neighbors, sharing it with our family, sharing it with our friends. And perhaps, and perhaps it's a call to take that first step of faith, to take hold of the promise of God that is before you in Jesus. It could be that you are listening today and you are a little bit unsure where you stand, a little bit unsure about where you stand when it comes to to heaven and the promise of life and salvation in Jesus. Maybe you're new to church or maybe you've been going to church for a long time, but you've been keeping God and this offer of salvation at arm's length. I want you to listen really, really carefully. The new kingdom is for all, but not all will be there. Right? Look at this in verse 7. We read this. To the thirsty, I will give from the springs of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, adulterers, and all the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, someone uh, who didn't grow up going to church, I know how tempting it is to read a text like that and start thinking about all the things that I've done wrong and how now I need to do all of these things right. But actually, that's not what the text is saying to you. Who are the ones who enter the kingdom? Who are the ones who escape the lake of fire and, and drink from the river of life? It's right there. The kingdom of heaven belongs to the thirsty, right? It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Right? So the life of Christ is not something that you buy or earn with your good deeds or your religious uh, record. The life of Christ is a free gift that is offered without payment, given freely to those who thirst. In other words, the thirsty are not those who have their life altogether, but rather those who recognize that their life and world is falling apart. The thirsty are not the strong and self-assured, but those who know they are weak of spirit and struggling in doubt. The thirsty are not those with the perfect record, but those who recognize that they stumble in sin. And it is that thirst 
that hunger that drives them to Christ in faith to say, Jesus, I'm thirsty. Jesus, I, I need your forgiveness. Jesus, I, I need your help. Jesus, I want your life and I want your love. Do you want that love? Do you want that hope? Do you want to be secure in the salvation of God today? Let me encourage you to entrust yourself right now to Jesus. He loves you. He knows you. He cares for you. And He has done everything for you so that you can drink of His light, His love and His hope. Um, you'll see in the comments section an opportunity to respond to the gospel right now. If you want to know the life of Jesus and share in his life and salvation, then please accept that invitation today, right now. Uh, if you're with us on Church Online, then click raise a hand uh, and then you'll see an invitation to pray. And I encourage you to accept that invitation because there's men and women who'd love to talk with you love to answer your questions and indeed love to pray with you. And if you're with us via Facebook, then let us know in the comments below that you would like to entrust yourself to Jesus because we've got men and women who'd love to serve you as well. And, 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 and we encourage you to do that because Jesus is good news. And we know, City on a Hill, don't we? We know that a day is coming where those gates will be open. And we will enter in and we will drink that life and we will see God face to face. Let us go to him now in thanks and prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the good news of Jesus. Thank you for his life. Thank you for his love. Thank you that right now, here across Australia and around the world, you're speaking to men and women. You're inviting them into your life into your love, into your hope. Lord, may we receive your good news with faith. Lord, may we be secure in your salvation. Lord, help us by your spirit to live for your praise and glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.